You're listening to The Resilient Life Show, a podcast that inspires family-focused entrepreneurs who've sacrificed their personal health and wellness, growing their business to rebuild again. My name is Robert Vander Hayden, and I'm a resiliency coach. And I'm sitting down with experts, entrepreneurs, and parents about the lessons they've learned reclaiming their legacy health. Because what's the point of building one if you're not around to enjoy it? Okay, guys. Uh, good morning. I want to uh, first introduce Kaylee, who's going to be our registered nutritionist, dietitian, coach today. I'm here to learn as much as we all are. So first off, Kaylee, thank you so much for joining us. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So the community we're building here is of parents who are entrepreneurs, experts, and like most of us who've gone through the journey, even if you have furry, uh, furry children as well, you have a tendency to put your health and your wellness kind of on the back burner, especially if you're in this growth stage. And so one of the, and I polled our community about a month ago, Hey, what's the number one thing, the one obstacle you're, you're dealing with right now, especially during this pandemic at home, still trying to find work life, self balance and nutrition was like by well, the biggest thing. And so knowing your background and working with you in the past through some of my workshops is I wanted to bring you on today to talk about mainly because we both teach resiliency, right? Mm -hmm. We all, we want long-term health, not health in 30 days. Yeah. So with that, um, I want you to go ahead and introduce yourself. How, how did you become Kaylee um, RD and uh, <laughs> what brought you here today? Sure. So my name is Kaylee. Like Robert said, I'm, I'm a registered dietitian. Um, I'm actually from the East Coast, so my educational journey started back there, and I knew I always wanted to be in the health field in some context. I, I grew up an athlete and um, you know, just ended up finding that I felt and performed better when I ate certain foods, so there was always this inherent interest in nutrition, and um, stumbled across dietetics in college and decided to give it a whirl, and um, little did I know it involved this year-long internship after school before you can sit for boards, so that took me from Virginia to St. Louis. Um, I did my internship there and then decided that California was calling me, so moved to California for grad school. Um, I went to Long Beach State, which I just learned your wife did too, which is awesome, yes. go beach. Um, and at the time, I wanted to get into sports nutrition, so I actually did my master's in nutrition and physical performance. Um, and I was working for like a startup corporate wellness company while I was in grad school out here, and I got exposed to functional lab testing just kind of by accident with there. And I spent my first year as a dietitian interpreting probably thousands of labs for people and really just seeing some of the amazing stuff that we can do to really help people's health before they have a chronic condition. And so it really changed the trajectory of, of my path there. And kind of all along, I was dealing with some of my own health issues. For me, it was mostly in the hormone health space, though I definitely had some digestive issues going on. And those are very much related. And so I just started to get more and more into research in those areas because of my own necessity. And once I was able to help myself through some of those things, I ended up focusing on helping other clients do that. So now I run a virtual practice where I help um, predominantly women overcome hormone and digestive issues. And I love it. And I'm very thankful it's virtual during this quarantine. <laughs> Which is perfect, right? Um, another big thing that I really loved about Kaylee, and she came to one of my breathwork uh, Wim Hof workshops, is I like that I'm very much N equals one. Like the more I yeah. learn, the more I want to test on myself. So if it brings me to a stimulus response I was looking for, hopefully that can help the people that I engage with, the people that right. I coach with, right? Yeah. So um, today, kind of the overlining umbrella besides gut 
gut brain access. It's just like in this time when we're stressed, right? And the questions that I sent you earlier were about sleep and anxiety. Mm -hmm. So let's let's start the path. Let's start off by talking about that brain gut access. What is that? I kind of coined um, food and mood, right? Kind yeah. of how it relates to it. So I'm just going to sit back, just just talk about why that's important, how that affects, and what are kind of some take home things that we can apply now uh, as far as influencing that. Sure. So a lot to dive into and unpack with that. But you know, now more than ever is a really good time to be talking about this because stress for most of us, and it sounds like your audience is, is parents and fellow business owners and people that already had a lot of stress, but now they're doing that on top of maybe homeschooling their kids or no childcare or changes in work schedule. And when stress is high, you know, fundamentally the body is going back into like a self-preservation state because it wants to make sure that you're getting through this stressful season that we're all in right now. And when we are in that state, we begin to make a bunch of survival hormones. So things like adrenaline and cortisol, things that we normally do in short bursts in response to stress now become something that are chronically elevated. And when this happens on a more steady basis, like it is for probably most of us right now, this can cause a lot of problems health-wise, but I know we're gonna focus on the gut. So when we think about these hormones being in circulation throughout the day, day in and day out, that's having a direct influence on what's going on in the gut microbiome, which is just the balance of good and bad bacteria, yeasts, and other microorganisms that live in our gut. And there's a lot of crosstalk that happens between what's going on in our body hormonally and even at the brain level and what's going on in our gut. And there's just been some really interesting research about how that communication actually goes both ways. So in a time where stress might be high and we have this top-down communication going to our gut with these stress signals, we can also flip that around, work on nourishing the gut so that the bottom-up signals can work toward helping with mood, helping with stress, helping with productivity, especially for the other business owners and working parents on this call. Um, and that was something that was really interesting to me because at least when I was in undergrad, we did not realize that communication went both ways between the gut and the brain. It was very much like the brain kind of told the rest of the body what to do and that was it as far as communication goes. Mm. Um, but now we know that it, it actually can go back in the other direction. And if there is inflammation and uh, an imbalance going on in your gut, that directly affects what's going on in your brain in terms of producing neurotransmitters that affect your mood, mental clarity, um, just the way that we're able to function day in and day out. So. We're gonna talk about what we can do to help make sure that the gut microbiome is in a good place so that we can be better equipped to handle and adapt to the stress that we're in. And I also, of course, I'm gonna talk about food too because there's a big food and mood connection like you titled this thing. Mm -hmm. um, what was I gonna say? Oh yeah, and this is such a perfect tie into what you do, Robert, because mm -hmm. you know one of the best ways that we can influence the vagus nerve, which is a big mm -hmm. like highway between the gut and the brain is through breathing correctly, particularly that deep diaphragmatic breathing. So if anybody is already doing the work that you provide, know that you are working on that communication, even if you were previously unaware of it. And, and by the way, I, I don't want to like let the cat out of the bag, but the the giveaway or the, the value added that Kaylee's bringing us today, um, one of those tips is about getting from a sympathetic to a parasympathetic state. So I, I love what you have there. And I'm working on two of them. I've got most of them down, but uh, <laughs> I'm working on two of them. But I can just say like, as far as congruency, as far as 
most of us are in this heightened state of sympathetic fight or flight all day, even when we're at home, which is funny because subconsciously we want to, I'm very much on environment dictates behavior. And, and this has been our safe place for a long time. And now a lot of us are working in our safe place. So there's mm -hmm. kind of mixed signals, um, but getting back to the gut and the brain and how they, it, the super highway works both ways. What are some signs and some symptoms that we, can take home that are, are super simple that we know like, hey, maybe I do have leaky gut or maybe there mm -hmm. is some inflammation. And then secondly, what are some mental signals that, oh, right. maybe I'm not doing well as well? Yeah. So some of the physical ones that you might notice if there are any troubles going on in the gut would be um, any changes to your bowel habits, whether that means more or less frequent change in consistency, um, any discomfort in the digestive tract area. So that could be intestinal or up in the stomach. Um, it could be noticing bloating more frequently and particularly like right after meals. Um, and even fatigue right after meals is a pretty good sign that the body is struggling to break down that food and we're not extracting nutrients the way that we should. Um, and that's really where the importance of getting into the right nervous system state before your eating comes from because we're not designed to be able to rest and digest while we're also fighting and sliding from some kind of a conflict mm -hmm. or a stress. And if we don't take the time, and it's really simple things, honestly, it's like a couple of deep breaths, stepping away from the computer, getting ready to eat, thinking about the food. Um, we really struggle to break down food. And when we don't break down food well, it means discomfort for the digestive tract because food really shouldn't be going through there partially digested. It is possible for it to be fermented at that point. We get gas, bloating, discomfort. But then we're also not getting nutrients from that meal and that's affecting our energy. It's affecting our appetite because the cells are going to be telling the brain that they're starving of nutrients, even if we just ate. And when we think about mood, you know, we manufacture our feel good brain chemicals from the food that we eat. So if we are chronically not digesting food well because of stress, then we get this vicious cycle of the mood staying low, continuing to stay in the stress response, and we just don't get those nutrients. Oh, very cool. And so moving on, and that's a great connection for people to know, because I know a lot of times when I first worked with a dietitian um, on nutrition, the signs and symptoms we might seem as normal. And so one of the yeah. things that I would tell clients coming on, it's like, okay, so I, th I think I might have some a gut irritation or I'm not, I'm not doing well in the stomach. So like, what's an example of that? Well, every time I eat, I rush to the bathroom in 20 minutes. I'm yeah. Like, that's probably a sign or a symptom that something's not working right, right? And so just like you said, how our mood can be dictated by that sympathetic parasympathetic state. If we're in this chronic state of fight or flight and we sit down and we're watching like an action flick on the TV mm -hmm. and we're not paying attention to what we're eating, we get hungry. And so we, we're in this, like you said, cycle of like, I'm constantly hungry, but it's it's not a lack of volume, right? right. It's the lack of digestions of the nutrients that we're looking for. Yeah, and it's got to be this like full body orchestrated effort to truly digest and absorb food well. And I know um, a common symptom, even that I had, but that a lot of clients have, is they get this like food coma after they eat. And this is not from like a massive Thanksgiving meal. That's a totally different story. But people are like, man, after I eat lunch, I crash and I am no longer productive at work. And that's a big clue in that you're probably having issues breaking down that meal because it's it's an energy dependent process. And when we're not making it as easy as possible on our body through priming the nervous system, really chewing well, which sounds silly to remind adults to chew their food. But if I'm not thinking about it, I eat food and don't even remember chewing. Actually, <laughs> as a parent and as a business owner, I can tell you half the time and you hear this all the time. I inhale my yeah. food. 
right? That's exactly what you're doing. You're not breaking down your food. You're literally, because of time, I'm taking four bites and then and rushing on to the next thing. Yeah, so, so, so it's little things like that really make a big difference. <laughs> okay, so chewing is going to be one thing. Uh, being present when you're eating, right? Like you said, turning off your phone, turning off the TV. Uh, it's just an active like stopping, being in the mm -hmm. moment versus worrying about what's next, next, and next. Um, yeah. Is there any other tips that we could take around kind of rituals, breakfast, lunch, dinner, mm -hmm. that we could implement that would help kind of set ourselves up for the best possible win when it comes to that food? For sure. So because we're all working from home right now, if we're able to work, um, it's it's about creating a space that's for mealtime and a space that's for mm. work. We you know, if you were used to going into an office, those things were typically separated for you and now they're not. And all of a sudden everywhere in your house is, is work. And I know that that's something that I struggle with too. I've been working from home for years now. And the biggest change for me was stepping away from my workspace for my meals. And it's tempting to just mm -hmm. plop down in front of your computer, continue working and take some bites, but it's just not helping you from a digestive standpoint to do that. So creating like actual meal times for yourself at predictable times during the day when possible and having those separate from your workspace if possible. Otherwise, like just shut the laptop and eat and then open the laptop back. Gotcha. No, that's that's a huge value add. I, I don't think people understand enough to separate their meal plan from what they're doing because we're hustling and we're grinding and we have things that we need to take care of. but. To talk back to what you said, we're on that sympathetic state. When we're working, we're in a fight or flight mode, right? Mm -hmm. We have deadlines, we have things we need to do. So not being able to separate our nutrition time or our rest and relax. And this goes into sleep as well, right? Like yeah. we we don't get into deep sleep or REM sleep because we haven't turned off. And it's because we haven't set up any systems or protocols to kind of transition into that. So I love the fact of, and I'm guilty. I'm letting you guys all know at home, I am as guilty as the next person to be like, Hey, I'm mid work and yes, my alarm went off to go have lunch, mm -hmm. but you know what? I could just get my wife and ask her to bring it to my table, eat and continue working. But then why am I hungry 20, 30 minutes later? Right. Or even worse, I don't notice the quantity I'm eating and I do hit that food coma mm -hmm. because I inhaled and I want seconds versus yep. like having a set time to actually chew. Awesome. I love awesome. that you set the alarms on your phone. That would actually be my next recommendation, especially oh, okay. if you're new, if you're new to working from home and like the mm -hmm. whole day just kind of bleeds together. You don't have any structure in that day. Just little alerts on your phone to just remind you and pull you out of that so that you can go have a, a meal and have those like almost meal rituals where you're stepping away from the computer, going to your meal space, taking a couple of good deep breaths, chewing really well, just being present with that meal. Um, and then the last thing I would add to that is try to avoid drinking like tons of fluids with the meal, um, especially if you're if you're dealing with stress, because a lot of fluids with a meal can dilute some of the digestive enzymes and stomach acid that are helping mm -hmm. us break down and extract nutrients. And we already struggle with making those in sufficient quantities if stress is high. So we just don't want to add insult to injury by chugging like an entire hydro flask with the meal. And, and that's to speak on that point. I agree a hundred percent. One of the biggest challenges and kind of the paradigm that I'm trying to get my, my audience to understand is, you know, one of the things when working with nutrition coaches or someone who may not be as educated as a dietitian is, and you've heard this before, and this was really popular. Sorry, I'm going to date myself about 10 years ago, uh -huh. but was to like, Hey, I, I am a compulsive snacker. I overeat. I have too mm -hmm. many calories. So, okay. Then we just need to go calorie deficient in order to lose weight. Great. Right. So how do we do that? Two glasses of water 
before every meal, right? Mm -hmm. Let's load up that, that stomach a little bit so you won't eat as much. And that's counterintuitive to actually digesting your food. Yes, right. it's an appetite suppressant, mm -hmm. but you're still gonna feel hungry. You're still gonna be nutrient deficient. Right. I know. And yeah, that kind of stuff drives me crazy. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure if we're feeling signals of hunger, that's what we need to focus on. Like, we don't have a deficiency of water. We have a deficiency, deficiency of, food. of food. Exactly. <laughs> I want everyone to, to quote her on that. Okay. It's not a deficiency of water. It's a deficiency of food. So transitioning now that we know that there is a relationship, we know how important it is to create a ritual or space, right? Mm -hmm. Boundaries around our, our habits of eating. Um, when it comes to anxiety and stress, we had a couple mm -hmm. people ask like, are there certain foods that could increase anxiety and stress? And this could be from creating gut inflammation mm -hmm. or are there foods that could actually suppress this as well? So for instance, if I am dealing with anxiety and stress, is there any foods that by calming my stomach or mm -hmm. healing my gut, I feel less anxiety? Yeah, certainly. Um, and there are a couple different a couple of different angles here. So the first one I want to touch on, which piggybacks off of what we were just talking about really well, is is making sure that you're eating enough. Mm. When we are trying to get the body to feel safe so that it's not overproducing these stress hormones, one of the biggest inputs for whether or not the body feels safe is, is there sufficient food or sufficient calories coming in on a consistent basis? This is true for everybody. I would say just from my experience, the female body is a lot more sensitive to even small changes in energy availability. But if we are chronically under eating on top of being in a stressful time in our lives, we really struggle with mood, with anxiety, with sleep, because the body's keyed up. The body doesn't feel safe and it's keeping you vigilant and alert so that you can track down the food that you need in order to feel safe. So um, auditing your intake, making sure that that's sufficient is big 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 for helping calm anxiety and the opposite is true too if you're not eating enough on a consistent basis anxiety tends to run higher because there's there's a hormonal effect to chronic under eating so that's the first piece um the second piece is making sure that the meals that we do have keep our blood sugar balanced so that's another major stressor for the body is if blood sugar is swinging up down all over the place during the day and some of the easiest ways that we can keep blood sugar nice and steady is making our meals balanced in macronutrient composition. So always a protein, a fat and a carbohydrate together. So instead of just grabbing, you know, a handful of crackers, which would just be a carbohydrate as a snack, we're trying to make sure that that's got some sort of protein or fat with it, which helps mm -hmm. blunt that blood sugar spike and subsequent drop. Um, you could also get into meal timing with that too. And just trying to make sure you're not going like five, six, seven hours between meals. Um, because when your blood sugar falls, we kick in cortisol to help keep blood sugar steady. And in a situation where cortisol is already high, we just want to avoid that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then as far as specific foods, so if we think about how we make neurotransmitters, which is brain chemicals, um, in a situation of anxiety, it's either that we don't have enough serotonin around or enough GABA around, which is like the calming um, inhibitory neurotransmitter. And we build those things out of amino acids. So that means enough protein in our diet. That means good digestive capacity to actually break down and liberate that protein from the food that we're eating. Um, B vitamins, magnesium and zinc all go into that too. So if we whittled that down to actual food sources, that's good quality animal proteins, that's dark leafy greens, um, that's citrus fruits, that's um, seafood, that's good healthy fats like omega-3s from good fatty fish, 
And then I like to have um, an extra magnesium supplement, whether that's mm -hmm. topically or um, orally for pretty much all of my clients, especially if anxiety and stress are prevalent. Yes, I'm a big magnesium supplement uh, yeah. uh, pusher, especially uh, when it comes to sleep and poor sleep as well yeah. as a way to transition. But uh, we, Jeannie, one of our members actually had a question. Um, is it better to eat on a predetermined schedule? I know we just talked about this a little bit mm -hmm. or eat when you're hungry. That is a great question. And I know somebody had asked about intuitive eating, so I'm going to loop these mm -hmm. together. So okay. I th think that eating intuitively is the ideal place to be where we're able to experience and honor the signals and the hunger and fullness cues that we get from our body. Mm -hmm. I think that that is the end goal. But if we're coming from a place of either consistently ignoring those signals, like maybe we had restricted calories or we were trying to adhere to some kind of a nutrition protocol, or we're in a state of high stress like we are now, I actually prefer to schedule those things because if left to our own devices, and I apologize, there's some noise going on no, here if you hear that. No worries. They're doing construction over here. I've been following you on Instagram. Yeah. I, I, know, I know the construction outside. It's been madness. So <laughs> what I would say is structure can help you have freedom later. And mm. if you are new to acknowledging hunger signals and new to keeping blood sugar balanced or dealing with a lot of stress, I would put those schedules in your phone and just plan on eating with that schedule. Later, when stress is a little bit lower or you're getting more comfortable with hunger and fullness cues, you can start to have a little bit more flexibility with that. Mm. But I would much rather we stay ahead of the curve there and just get that meal in before it becomes like a hanger episode. Yes, I and I agree 100%. Not only that, that comment also resonates with just about anything else you're doing in the health and wellness space. Yeah. So if you're looking to improve your sleep, set an alarm to go to bed, right? Mm -hmm. So you're, you're actually scheduling that happening. Like I can't tell you how many times I, I struggle, struggle to get enough time to uh, downregulate and do breath work or exercise. Well, in the, in the meantime, you need to schedule it until you've earned yeah. the right almost to listen to yeah. that intuitive need. Right. And that's so true about nutrition is we have lost the ability to understand our, the signaling because we're so used to being in a go, go, go state. So we're actually not listening to that. Right. right. So that's huge, 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 huge. Oh, I love what you said about earning the right to be more flexible with that. And I see it often in nutrition because that's the space that I'm working in where people will mm -hmm. come off of years or maybe even decades of pretty restricted eating and decide, okay, I want to in eat intuitively. And they're like, but I'm not feeling hungry. I don't have any signals. And it's like, well, we haven't been listening to them for so long that they got a little bit quiet. You've got to spend mm -hmm. that time with that structure to get it back. And then you can mm -hmm. be more intuitive about it. And because we're on the same topic of uh, intuitive eating and when to eat, um, the hot topic nowadays are either keto or intermittent fasting. You can dive into one or the other. It's totally up to you. But I know we, we have some intermittent fasters. I've I've dabbled very little in keto, mainly because mm -hmm. it didn't fit my lifestyle and I didn't like the taste of that much fat in my diet, period. Um, but I do practice intermittent fasting as just a parameter. And that being said, it is intermittent. It's not like long duration fasting. Yeah. I don't take it over the edge. And as a parent and entrepreneur where the mornings I'm getting things ready for the kids, breakfast ready, I'm setting up my calls. It, it made it easier for me. So what are your thoughts on that as far as intermittent fasting and any other, I would say meal plans uh, sure. or diet systems? Yeah, I think intermittent fasting can be really, really helpful. Um, there's some great, I mean, fasting research in general. And mm -hmm. 
you know, a 12 hour fasting period overnight is something that I recommend for most people mm -hmm. always. I mean, that's a great opportunity to rest your digestive tract and it matches really nicely with your circadian rhythm because we're really not supposed to be eating all hours of the day and night anyways. Mm -hmm. So that 12 hour fast is great. And for people that extend that fast longer into the morning and feel awesome and feel productive and have that mental clarity, awesome. I have no issue with it. My biggest caveat with intermittent fasting is that it can potentially in some people be a stress on the body. And so when you are in a stressful season, we also want to be really careful about not adding unintentional stress through our diet. And it comes down to how you're feeling. It, are you feeling great? Are you feeling clear in the head? Are you feeling productive? Awesome. That's a good sign that this is a good fit for your life right now. But are you feeling hangry, moody, um, shaky, jittery, or even low blood sugary in the morning? Mm -hmm that's a sign that this is not a good fit for you right now. And mm -hmm. I think where people get stuck is they feel like they have to be solidly in one camp or the other. And it's okay to change the way that you eat or the times mm -hmm. that you eat based on seasons of your life. And, you know, speaking for me personally, like if stress is high, I know intermittent fasting is not a good fit for me. I get like totally crazy and, and jittery and just unpleasant. But when stress is low, th that can be great for me. So you just have mm -hmm. to remain flexible with your eating approach and, and be able to assess, do I feel good? And if not, be okay with making change. And I, I think that's so important. I think that's a, a self-awareness tool that a lot of us skip over during our very hectic day-to-day -day, where we don't listen to how we're feeling, especially when starting new programs or downloading PDFs or we don't know where we're supposed to be along that line. So we wait for the win. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm going to stick in this hangry mindset because I'm sure the wind's coming and then eight days pass. Well, they say seven to eight days is when it passes and then 30 days pass right. and you're like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden you get into some metabolic issues and you're like, okay, mm -hmm. maybe I wasn't listening to my body. Yeah. So, you know, feeling hungry is a good thing, but it can be pushed too far. Yeah. Same thing with exercise. Like, oh, I love how, how sore I feel. Well, if you have to use the handrail to get up to the second floor, it's probably not the ideal workout program. And like you said, there are seasons in my life. I used to love high intensity interval training and I did, I pretty much tested every nutrition profile out there. But now in this season of my life where I am responsible for others, I'm responsible for a community, I'm responsible for my family. It's like, well, what are the systems and protocols that I can put in place that allows me to live a resilient life, allows me to be applicable in my job, but also as a parent. And I think today when we're talking about nutrition with the, the gut brain axis and, and how making good choices with food is one thing. And I think a lot of people get caught up with what's what's keto or what's uh, zone versus, well, let's look at your behavior around food. Let's look at your energy levels. How is your day-to-day -day set up? And to listen to those cues is actually gonna be more intuitive and set you up to win in the long term versus, okay, this program didn't work, this program didn't work, this program didn't work. Well, obviously, because there was no assessment and you're just shooting from the hip, so to speak, right? Right, yeah, awesome. I just completely agree. I don't and even then, need to add anything. <laughs> <laughs> so um, before we finish up today, and first off, for all those who are watching live and who will get the chance in the next 24 hours to watch this, Kaylee, I really appreciate your time. Um, sure. I'm a big fan of yours. Um, at the end of this, I definitely want, after we go over the challenge, I want you to, to share any ways that um, some of our women specifically could be working with you um, okay. on what you do best, which is kind of take care of people. But um, the last thing I wanted to kind of go over was is sleep. So yeah. I think the one thing we know when it comes to food or at least topical that people know is like, hey, maybe I shouldn't eat an hour before bed, right? Because 
the, the gut takes energy to break down food. And if I'm trying to rest, it's kind of counterproductive. But what can you talk about when it comes to specifically like dinner, right? Yeah. And specifically how that influences good sleep, getting into sleep quicker, deeper sleep. And is there any supplements or things I could be taking? And we did talk about magnesium a little bit, but as far as allowing me to, to sleep better when it comes to food digestion, because I'm a big believer, like top down sleep is one of the things we all need yeah. to work on first. And it kind of cascades onto everything else. So what can you help us with that? Sure. As so I feel like a broken record with this blood sugar thing, but it is so, so <laughs> No, <important>. I agree a hundred percent about regulating and having a controlled blood sugar level. Cause that's where a lot of the headaches and yo-yoing dieting comes from. And a lot of our anxiety and stress totally. because our body's going through that, but continue. Yes. I, yeah, I agree. No, agreed. So that it matters for sleep too. So it's the same situation during the day, but if blood sugar drops low in the middle of the night, we kick into some cortisol to keep things steady and cortisol is going to pull you out of sleep. So you always have to remember that cortisol, your stress hormone opposes melatonin and your sleep hormone. They both don't they don't play nice together. They're not existing together. So if you've got cortisol pumping out, you know melatonin is dropping down and you're either fully waking up or at least coming out of a deep sleep. So our goal with dinner is to set you up for stable blood sugar through the night. So again that's you know, 20 to 30 grams of protein at dinner, actually at all of your meals is a great rule of thumb to make sure that you're getting enough protein and it does help with blood sugar balance, with neurotransmitter production, really everything we've talked about today. Mm -hmm. You need some good healthy fats in that meal because fats is what helps like time release the carbohydrate that you're consuming. And then we need a good carbohydrate, preferably one that's got some fiber in it because it's going to stay with you longer and get you through the night. Um, preferably not one that's super simple or quick to digest just in and out of your system like that. Mm. Um, vegetables with dinner is a given. I'm, I'm going to recommend that at every meal. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's playing around a little bit with the quantity of the carb, fat and protein for you because the most annoying thing with nutrition is that we all really truly have different needs and you're mm. going to have to play around with how much carb makes you sleep better at night is how much is too much and actually might give you some cravings for sweets after dinner or how much is too little where you're actually struggling to fall asleep because blood sugar is low. Um, generally, I like to start with like a half to one cup of carbohydrate with dinner as a like a good experiment and see how you do with that. Um, if you're still struggling with sleep issues from there, you can play up or down with that, depending on how active you are. If you are an active person, I tend to err on more carb at dinner time, actually helping to keep cortisol down and keep you asleep and just making sure that there's always good proteins and fats with that meal. Um, if you're somebody that actually goes many hours between dinner and when you go to bed, I'm actually a decent fan of a nighttime snack if blood sugar is pulling you out of sleep. Um, so like a little bit of carb with a little bit of fat an hour before bed can actually help if you're struggling to fall or stay asleep. So that's something you can experiment with. Um, magnesium all day <laughs> for sleep. Yeah. Um, magnesium's great. Um, and then eating some foods that contain natural melatonin. So I do like uh, tart cherry concentrate is a good food source of melatonin that you can actually add to your magnesium if you're doing the drink version. It's like my nighttime cocktail. I like that. Um, and then making sure we're not having caffeine like after about two or 3 PM mm -hmm. is a biggie. And then alcohol is another biggie too. So alcohol is going to stop you from getting into deep sleep, unfortunately. So it's like the rule of twos is something I picked up and I'm not even sure where, but it's one to two glasses. The last sip two hours before you want to go to sleep is a good rule mm. of thumb there. If you're going to have any alcohol as far as affecting your sleep. 
Awesome. Those are all great takeaways um, as far as nutrition and knowing that you still want to have a balanced meal. And I like the idea of titrating your nutrition throughout the evening. That's yeah. back in the kind of the, the the weightlifting days. That's what one of the things they told you with like casein protein or or fiber carbohydrates is you want to have a slow drip of those nutrients through the night so it doesn't pull you out of right. that sleep. Um, and and that's another thing. Just quick little uh, takeaway also about cortisol is a lot of people don't realize and I used to be a night owl and everyone was proud about being a night owl but around like 10 to 11 o'clock your body starts to release more cortisol because it's like hey if we're mm -hmm. up this late you must be running from something or chasing something right. so we're going to keep you awake and I know for all of our night owls or entrepreneurs or even you know solopreneurs looking to be resilient like sleep is such a big part of it and do your best not to be a night owl in order to get that work done i'd rather you go to bed earlier and wake up earlier like when the sun comes up um there's so much to be said about getting up before everyone else to get some work done in versus staying up late and the main reason is quality sleep cortisol levels uh, and now you guys know there's different types of foods and I don't want some of you guys to use Kaylee's little hack of like, oh, Kaylee said I could have an apple with some peanut butter on it right before bed because I had dinner at four. Well, mm -hmm. it depends on the individual, right? Like yes. anecdotally for me, my wife can have slightly higher glycemic carbohydrates before the evening time and she sleeps really well. Whereas for me, I actually have to have a minimal amount of it because yeah. I do get into that sweet zone where mm -hmm. it starts to spike my glycemic level, my, my, my insulin. Yeah. So um, we had another question. And if you guys have any question and you're listening, post them in the comments so that I can actually read them to uh, Kaylee and I can post them up. But someone would, and I've had this question asked before, so I'm interested in learning more about your answer. But uh, we had someone ask, you know, checking blood sugar is important, knowing mm -hmm. that do we need to check it? And I think this person specifically is asking as far as a prick blood uh, test. Yeah. Or are there signs and symptoms that you know that just kind of gives you like, hey, maybe my my blood sugar level is a little bit higher. So A, should I be physically testing this if I'm not diabetic? And B, mm -hmm. if I don't need to physically be testing this, what are some signs and symptoms that I know that A, I need to be watching out for that? Yeah, good question. So if you are down for finger pricks and checking it, great. It's pretty inexpensive data. I like mm -hmm. to experiment with that kind of stuff and just really get all the data that we can. But you don't necessarily have to do that. So some signs that blood sugar has gone high after a meal is sleepiness. Mm -hmm. It is brain fog. So it's tough because there's a lot of overlap between a number of things that could be going on. Um, it can be feeling like you didn't get enough food because when blood sugar is high, that's really just the sugar's not getting into the cells. You ate it, but we're actually not able to use it on a cellular level yet. So we're still getting those signals to the brain like, hello, we haven't gotten that carbohydrate yet. So you might still feel hungry or might still have cravings for carbohydrates or sweets. And then when blood sugar drops, because when blood sugar is high, it will always eventually drop. Um, that's really intense cravings for carbohydrates and sweets. It's your brain knowing that simple carbohydrates are going to solve the problem fastest. Really so that's what it's mm -hmm. telling you to go to. Um, you can even get headaches and like lightheaded shakiness um, on a pretty extreme level. This is like hanger episodes are low blood sugar. And if you're you having go. headaches, shaky, irritability, that's low blood sugar. And whenever blood sugar is low, it's usually because there was a preceding high. So that's a good thing to check in with yourself. Am I getting to this low blood sugar state an hour after my meals? Or is it because I've gone six, seven, eight hours without eating? Is that why it's mm -hmm. low? So I just love 
becoming your own health detective and like mm -hmm. keeping notes of these things as they happen throughout the day because that's really how you're going to find what truly works for you yeah. and as much uh, as yeah. i wish it was right. the same for everybody it just isn't so. <laughs> no no if if it would if it if that were true there'd be four experts in the world and everyone would be following them yeah ways is the way to work no, but I'm a big believer in managing and journaling stuff, especially if you think it could be a problem or stopping you from progressing to what you want to achieve in life, then we need to kind of hunker down and manage by measuring everything. Mm -hmm. So I like I like the little signs that you gave us is that a most of the time that you have a low blood sugar comes after high blood mm -hmm. sugar. So what are your what are you eating at lunch? Typically, when I've had this experience with people, it's yeah. lunch is the issue. Like, what am I eating at lunch that is causing this spike? And it's usually not a balanced meal, right? It's usually like heavy on the breads or maybe I have pasta with coworkers out. Right. So understanding that that's going to create a spike and then eventually uh, create a drop. And then for, for some of you guys who are getting into intermittent fasting, mm -hmm. you might find that that low blood sugar comes coming out of your fast, right? So yeah. that's why... I recommend, Kaylee recommends too, when you're doing a majority of your fasting sleeping, it's not as bad. Whereas if you're trying to yeah. fast during the day, in my opinion, in my experience, I'm I'm not as productive as I could be. And I'm just waiting. I'm staring at the clock for when <laughs> I can eat again. Right. Yeah. And just one quick like additional shout out to sleep as it relates to blood sugar. Your mm -hmm. sleep really makes a big difference on how stable your blood sugar is. And I can't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but one night of poor sleep throws off your blood sugar balance the, the next day. And it's the equivalent of having like a couple extra hundred calories of carbohydrate in your day. Wow. So I'd rather eat those car yeah. couple <laughs> hundred carbohydrates and give it away at sleep. Exactly. So um, sleep is big. Um, speaking of as far as measuring glucose, uh, we had a question as far as what would be considered high or low if you are mm -hmm. measuring glucose? Yeah, it depends on when you're measuring it. So fasting okay. first thing in the morning, mm -hmm. um, ideally that's anywhere between like 70 and 90 would be considered optimal. Um, you won't be flagged as out of range until you're you know up above 100, but optimally 70 to 90. If you're doing it right after a meal, our hope is that it's not spiking over about 140. Um, mm -hmm. If you're doing it, you know, one to two hours after our meal, it's like around 140 to 120 would be an okay place. And then past two hours, it should be back down into your normal fasting mm -hmm. range. So if you're seeing big spikes after meals, like into the 150s, 60s, 70s, 80s, then that's a pretty good indication that that was either way too much carb or it was too mm -hmm. simple of a carbohydrate that just, you know, immediately just turned digested. into sugar. Yeah. 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 Okay, perfect. Well, Kaylee, I'm going to bring this to the end. Thank you okay. so much for showing up today. And for all of you guys who are still on, there's a fun little giveaway. I'm going to let Kaylee explain it so I can actually post. Uh, oh, sure. Yes. So I put together the step-by-step -step process that I take my clients through to help them get their gut health on par. And it's a 14-day gut check challenge is what I called it. Um, and you basically are going to get emails from me every day for 14 days as you're layering these habits on top of each other, because that's really how we build something that sticks is one at a time. And it's often really simple things like some of which we talked about today with the chewing and the breathing and the rituals around meals. And then it gets more advanced with what specific foods can help feed beneficial gut bugs, because that's really relevant in our conversation about mood and and stress and anxiety. Um, what things to avoid, uh, how your oral microbiome affects this whole conversation. Um, it's a fun little 14 day challenge that I'd love for you to join me in. Um, and if you do it, I'd love to hear about how it's going. So feel free to reach out to me on social media or um, through Robert, if you have yeah, questions or feedback. Sure. 
I, I'm jumping into this as well. I want you guys to jump into it as well. And what I'll do is over the next 14 days, I'll actually tag a comment post in this group about your gut check challenge. So if cool. people have wins, insights, questions, they can post it there. Kaylee's part of this group right now, so she'll be able to see that and, and answer your questions and pop in every so often. But I'm excited to see what you guys can implement through these tools. And I wanna highlight one word that Kaylee said with that. And it's a very important word, because I think in this day and age, when we're overwhelmed, when we're stressed out, we're looking for a magic pill. <laughs> we're looking for a task or a technique, right? Something that's gonna get us there. But Kaylee said it's a habit, right? It's something that we need to practice over and over again until we become successful of it. Then we can put it into our subconscious, then we're not thinking about it anymore. Right. So I love the fact that your nutrition gut check challenge is habit forming. Yes, we talk about food. Yes, we talk about microbiome, mm -hmm. but it's also like, what's your relationship to your food, the time that you eat? What are the habits to set you up to win as you eat? And what are the habits after you eat to kind of set you up for the win for the day? So check out the link. I've posted it in this video. I'm actually going to post the link in the comments below too. Um, I've already uh, I've already jump started in there. I want you guys to sign up because I'm already in it as well. But Kaylee, thank you so much for showing up. How can people find you? Like, uh, what's your social? What's the website? What are? Where's your expertise? I know you mentioned with women and mm -hmm. hormones. But speak on that a little bit because sure. I know a lot of people are going to watch this if they're like me and they're working from home and have kids. They'll probably watch this like 9 p.m. tonight. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let them know how can they learn more about your services? How can they work with you? Sure. So you can find me on social media at Kaylee RD. My name is spelled weird. You can see it on the screen here that Robert shared. Um, and then that's my website too, KayleeRD.com. So everything's the same, should be pretty easy to find. And I do a lot of educating in the hormone health space over on Instagram um, and on my website too. But Instagram is really where I spend She has a phenomenal Instagram account. Follow oh, her thanks. stories, follow her posts. Um, I check in just because it's very educational and the great thing and one of Kaylee's superpowers <laughs> is she is making something that's super technical, very simple to understand. And you do that with your infographics, you do that with your shares. So if you're like me and you like to digest content, but it needs to be chewable bites, Kaylee is a great resource online for that. Oh, that means a lot. I appreciate it. I, I work hard to be able to make things digestible. Pun yes. intended. <laughs> and, pun intended. Yes. And and I can see it. And me as a viewer, um, I'm, I'm very thankful for you. Oh, thankful for you too. And I'm psyched that you've built this community here because you just, you bring so much value and I'm happy to be able to serve you and your people however I can. I appreciate it, Kaylee. Okay, guys. Thank you guys for showing up online. I know we had a couple of people live. If you're watching this replay later, hashtag replay. So I know to check your questions later as far as that. And look out for the post for the 14 day gut challenge. Kaylee, thank you so much. Have a lovely day and I'll see you on the interwebs. You too. Take care. Bye. And that concludes today's podcast. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And if this topic inspires you to live a more resilient life, Feel free to head over to Facebook and look up the Resilient Life community and let's grow together.